Well, we turn again this morning to John 3, 6 and 7 to open. I will say this is the last lesson in my series on eternal life. I have learned through this, I have learned to be a better clock watcher. You might have noticed that I, I quit putting my phone there with a the timer on it because I got better at that. So I hope you learned more than that. John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and then showing something completely different. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. An absolute necessity of receiving a new life if one is going to even see the heavens. This morning we're closing this series by looking at a wonderful truth that really to me is, well, it's the absolute foundational real reason why we can be absolutely sure that we have eternal life. It's something that um, a lot of people seem to find it beyond their willingness to accept. A part of that is the fact that they don't understand the two creations. A part of that is it just doesn't make sense, not to the natural mind, not to looking at things from an outward fashion. A part of it is that for some it totally conflicts with the idea that you can lose your salvation, your eternal life. And this isn't, this isn't going to be on screen because I just added it to my notes this morning, but uh, an important thing when we come to a place of not fully understanding the word of God, well, let me pause and ask a question. How many of you here believe that we must absolutely and fully understand something before we believe it and accept it? Good. Because when I was born again at five years old, I had no concept of reconciliation or atonement or substitutionary sacrifice or any of those other big words. But when we come across something in the scripture that we don't yet understand, what are we supposed to do? And a couple of things, but uh, let's start with this. And do not, this is Romans 12, 2, the beginning of that verse. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't just think the way the world does. Well, that doesn't make sense to me, so I don't accept that. I can't prove that, so I don't accept that. I can't analyze that, so I don't accept that. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds need to be changed. Not just about specific issues, not specific facts, but our entire approach, and particularly our approach to the word of God. It goes on, and I didn't put the last part of that verse in there, but it's uh, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that word prove means to test and to prove that it's good. Uh, and so if you want to prove whether something is true or not, let God change your thinking and learn to accept what he says, whether you understand it or not. Now, don't go off on a wild tangent because you've got something new that you don't understand, and since you don't understand, you can go any direction you want to. Uh, we are to be like the Bereans. We are to search the scripture and see what things are so. 
But uh, as far as not believing something that we don't understand, well, let me skip a couple of slides there. See, I'm slow today. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the Lord tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. He thinks differently. Nor are my ways your ways. The things that we might think would work. God doesn't necessarily see it that way. Says the Lord, not just me, but the Lord says things are different with him. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts and my thoughts are your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there are things in the Bible that we're not going to understand. There are things just presented by the Bible that we're not going to understand. We know that one of these days we'll be like him, or we'll see him as he is. We'll have a glorified body. Uh, The old creation will be gone. But the Bible also tells us that it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. And there are, there are prophecies, and, and they're just not explained to a degree that we can say, okay, this is exactly what's going to happen, and it's going to happen at this time. And so we learn to say, all right, God says some things, God does things in ways that I am not necessarily going to understand. And the spiritually wise learn to believe the word of God, Period end of discussion. I don't understand it. There's more there than I can fully grasp. But if God said it, and I remember Brother Jim Gravitt said this more than once, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And so let's look at some Bible. My main passage this morning is a statement that once profoundly troubled me. I had not uh, really studied the word of God seriously before God got hold of my heart in 1969. Uh, and I came across 1 John 3, 9, and I read, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Just stop right there and think about that if you don't understand the two creations. And he, for his seed, that incorruptible seed that we considered last week, his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. Not just does not He cannot sin. The capacity for sin is not there. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. We'll come back to this, but when I came across this verse in 1969, and some of you have heard me tell of this, but, uh, you know, I was very young in the Lord. I I didn't understand the Bible fully, and I I was trying to learn, and and I had an intense realization that I need to learn right now. And I knew myself, I was attending a church where, you know, if you put your foot wrong, you were going to hell again and had to get saved again. And then some of them said, well, I don't sin anymore. Well, I know that an impure or an angry or resentful or an unbelieving thought that pops into your mind is sin. And I thought, am I even saved? Because he that's born of God doesn't sin. He can't commit sin. Well, we'll come back to that. Uh, a verse we already looked at, a couple of verses, in earlier lessons, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and we're baptized in the body by the Holy Spirit when they are saved, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish? 
Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? It is vital for us to understand how completely things changed for us spiritually when we received eternal life, when we were born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Old things have passed away, and I just sort of grade that out. Old things have passed away. Have you ever driven by a place and maybe it was off to the side of the house or behind the house or anyway around the house somewhere there were a number of rusted out old cars that had been perhaps sitting there for decades. Uh, they were still there, but as far as the owners of that property were concerned, you know, I would not have a bunch of junky old cars on my property, but they didn't even think about them anymore. Did you ever see something you had to buy because it would look so good in your house, you know, and it was so nice, and you, you bought it, and you hung it on the wall or did whatever you did, and you enjoyed it for three or four weeks, and after a while, you didn't even see it anymore. It just passed beyond your notice. Well, um, those cars were still there, but they passed out of the consideration of those that once drove them, Perhaps we're so proud of them, delighted to have them, but now they were just junk buckets, you know. The old man is still present with us. But the old man, the nature of the flesh, the old creation, as far as God is concerned, it has passed from his consideration regarding spiritual things. It has passed from his consideration regarding our eternal destiny. The, the flesh and the doings of the flesh are no longer a part of what God considers when he looks at our new nature and what he has set before us eternally. He reckons only with the new creation life. Now, that old things have passed away. All things become new. That's God's word. That's how he sees things. He deals with the new man, the life that we received through the new birth. And all things now are centered on that new life. Not, not at all, never ever focused on the flesh. And that being true, where should our focus be? Now, I am a man of frailty and failure. When I look on back on my life, I, I, I said to Marlene the other night, I said, you know, by nature, I'm a pessimist. And when I look at my life, I have a strong memory for all of my failures and all of the things that I have made mistakes in. It just, you know, that's my, that's my negativity. That, but it's also realistic because we are weak. Well, now, having said that, when I come to consider spiritual things, where should my focus be? On sins, on failures, on frailties, on mistakes, on, you know, go on down the list. Or shouldn't we change our focus, as God has done according to his word, entirely? Old things are passed away, all things made new. Shouldn't we shift our focus regarding our spiritual condition and hopes and expectations and desires to the new man? Well, if we're going to have our thinking changed, absolutely we should. We have a choice. We can uh, focus on our, our weak 
Well, I passed by a couple slides again. We can focus on our weak, incapable, prone-to-sin flesh that has been marred by sin and try very hard to improve all of our doings, make resolutions, determinations, be like Paul, that which I would, I do not, that which I would not, that I do. That comes from focusing on the flesh as a solution to having our lives fully transformed, be transformed by the changing of the way you think, by the renewing of your mind. I can focus on the flesh or we can look at this incorruptible new life of the spirit. I realize that's what counts. That's where the growth is. That's where the development is. That's where our focus should be. That's where God's focus should be. So focus on the flesh and failure. Focus on the new man and potential. Which of those choices is wise? And which of those is foolish? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? If you can sort out your flesh, you'll be good, right? It, it, it doesn't work. It's illogical for me not to focus on the problem and try to fix it. Jesus did that for us at the cross. Faith in Christ did that for us when we were born again. And so the focus should be on the spirit. In Galatians 5, and I'm not turning there, but we see the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. And when you read that passage, put the word spirit with a lowercase s because it refers to the new creation, the fruit that arises from the new man. So there's a garden going on there. Read the Song of Solomon, a garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. There's a place where fruit can come. And then there's the weed patch outside. Um, when we moved into our house, the backyard was a weed patch and a mud pit. And so I just killed it off and changed its whole character. And that's all stone walkways and a patio and decorative gravel. And there's no mud pit. There's no weeds. There's no grass. Every now and then a weed pops up. But anyway, be that as it may. Um, do you want to go out in the middle of the pasture and weed out all the, the, the stuff that just doesn't belong in the pasture? Or do you want to go to the garden enclosed? the new creation, the life that God gave to you, that eternal life, and focus on that and understand that by doing that, you become more fruitful. Love increases, faith increases, patience, long-suffering. These fruits increase. And if you want to see a real statement regarding whether to go with the flesh or the spirit, Galatians, and again, I've, I've dropped the capital S there, Walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Focus on the new creation. Focus on letting that new life, the life of Christ, be manifested in you. Now I can't explain how to do that. Those that are led of the Spirit are the mature, and I'm adding the word mature, the mature sons of God. The Holy Spirit must be the guide and the leader and the teacher in your life. We who stand and preach the word can do so much. But at some point, it's between you and the Lord. It's your heart open to the leading of the Spirit. It's your heart showing you how to take this seemingly abstract truth. It's not abstract. It's extremely practical. It works. But how to apply it is something you need to learn from the Lord. 
I, I got an Apple computer a while back, and boy, did I regret it. I mean, I knew, I knew Microsoft stuff inside out, and, and the new operating system. I'll tell you still, the file system just makes no sense to me. I'm sorry if you're a Mac lover. Good for you. I love you, and I hope you still love me. And I'm fight, still fighting my way through it. Probably if I had somebody that was a genius with the Mac, They'd sit down with me, and over a period of time, because I'm old and I'm slow, they'd teach me. I have the operating system, I have the hardware, I have the programs, everything is there, but how to use it. All right, there's, there's some truth here. You're not immediately going to understand how it should be applied in a practical sense in your life, but you have a teacher. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. And so, uh, well, let's move to another Passage In Romans 4, verses 7 and 8, this is a quoting of David in, from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Forgiveness is wonderful. But let's take it a, a step further. And whose sins are covered, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That word impute is a kind of a bookkeeping word in a way. Uh, wouldn't it be great if your credit card company quit putting the charges on your account? Quit imputing? I mean, you know, yeah, that'd be great, but <laughs> ain't going to happen, right? If you found out there was a software glitch on their end and by mistake they weren't putting the charges to your account, should you then get really dishonest and go on a spending spree? No, because sooner or later, your sins will find you out. <laughs> All right. Uh, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Does that mean that saved people face absolutely no consequences if we allow our members to become servants to sin? Absolutely not, it doesn't mean that. We have gone over passages that are misinterpreted, but passages that actually are speaking about the chastening of the Lord. Chastening that come, sometimes can be extremely severe. So I will say yes, thank God. Blessed is the man, the new man, the new life, the new creation. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not, shall not impute sin. Um, course, you know, just to make it clear that we don't want to get stupid about it, uh, we have a warning from God he gave to his children in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, whatever a person sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Again, notice that I've made it a small s. No capitalization of names and pronouns regarding the deity in Greek. This is just the translator's opinion when they capitalize it. I have a very different opinion. Uh, we're looking at sowing to the flesh, the old creation, or sowing to the Spirit, the new creation. Um, sowing to the Spirit is simply living a life whose purpose is focused on the eternal. You have a lot to deal with in life. If you're married, 
we all know, you know, some of us, you know, who's the rational one in the marriage? Both of you think you're the rational one. Am I right? <laughs> There's a lot to deal with in a marriage. There's adjustments that for everybody, it doesn't matter who you are. You got kids? We don't have to ask who is the rational one in that relationship, do we? You got a boss? Well, there too, very often. You have so many things to deal with in life, but what is life about? You can read instructions for marriage and for the parent-child relationship and the employee-employer relationship in Ephesians and Colossians, and we discover that each one of those is intended to have a spiritual content. We are to live our lives entirely with spiritual things in mind. That's not going to happen overnight or automatically. It's decision after decision after decision. But live a life whose purpose is focused on the eternal, focused on what is spiritually good, focused on where God's blessings arise, focused on the eternal rewards that, rewards that he so desires to give to us in a day to come. And the harvest of that is everlasting life. Now, that's not talking about the gift of eternal life that you receive the moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in those old days, those who were victorious, especially in, in uh, athletic games, they received crowns, very often of laurel leaves. James 1.12, well, there we go. I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe James 1.12 isn't in there. I don't know. There you go. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. You've got to go through it. Can't, can't avoid it. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Not the gift of eternal life, but the crown of life. Christ came that we can have life and have it more abundantly. There is a growth in this new man. There's a development in this new man. We, we are not meant to remain as babies as we go forth in the spirit. We fight those spiritual battles uh, as we endure temptation. When God says, well done, you good and faithful servant, there is then a crown of life. What does that mean, Brother David? I don't know. You know, I can give you some words that I believe and I do understand as applying, but it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. But there is a reaping of the spirit of life. But what if Christians sow to the flesh? Live for uh, the now. Live primarily for, well, well, what the flesh can have or enjoy or possess or whatever places to attain to, and that's your primary goal. I'm going to be a success. I, I know of a young man, he, he stands as a pastor in a church. I don't know if he has a calling of God on his life or not, but if he does, he's missing some things because his whole aim is to be financially successful. And he started business after business. My heart goes out to him. If we sow to the flesh, if we focus to what we can achieve or possess or enjoy in this life, it's not necessarily a matter of going out and committing the grossest, crassest, most base sins you can think of. Where are you focusing? The new creation or the old? This world 
You know, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's focusing on the spirit rather than the flesh. But if we focus on the flesh and sow to the flesh, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Notice where the judgment falls. If you sow to the spirit, there's a reaping of the spirit. If you sow to the flesh, then that judgment will fall upon the flesh. Not on the new life. Not on the spirit life received, the life of Christ received at the new birth, but the flesh. And there will be a corruption. And I, I don't know all that it's going to be in every individual case, but the word of God is really plain. The, 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 the harvest will be corruption. Sin is not imputed to the new life, to the life of Christ in us. See also Numbers 23, verses 21, well, verse 21, just the beginning of that verse. He has not observed, observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. And I'm not going to go into the context of that statement at all, but really? He's not seen iniquity in Jacob or wickedness in Israel? Their entire history as a people in Egypt, coming out of Egypt, in the wilderness, when they came up to the promised land, it was a history of rebellion and stubbornness, even idolatry. Really? God didn't see those things in Israel? Where were you looking? At the new creation. The, the true Israel, the Israel of God. Remember when Abraham offered up his only son, Isaac? The other son had been sent away, put away. He was not the son of the promise. He was the son of the flesh. And so God looks on the new creation. That's where his interest in is in. He has put away the old creation. God was looking at those who had had their faith accounted to righteousness, who had been born again. Now, no, Jesus hadn't had his conversation with Nicodemus yet. There were few, if any, that would have understood the concept of being born again. But it happened anyway. I didn't understand being born when I was born, but it happened anyway, right? God has revealed many truths for this age that were hidden in ages past. And so God was looking on the new man in them, the new life, and that life was as sinless as it could possibly be. If that were not true, Something's wrong with God's perception. And I assure you, nothing is wrong with God's perception. If that were not true, God was ignoring sin. And I assure you that God does not ignore sin. God was looking on the new creation to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Again, sin is not imputed to the new life. And so we come back to 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, that incorruptible seed, remains in him. And he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Now, some translators, and I, I, I won't give you a long list, but some translators have chosen to reword that a little bit so that it makes more sense to them. Uh, for example, the English Standard Version says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. You might sin... But you certainly will not make it a practice if you're a child of God. Well, a man by the name of Weymouth 
Put it this way, no one who is a child of God is habitually guilty of sin. Just don't make a habit of it. If you make a habit of it, well, that's another story. Uh, the Amplified Bible says, no one born begotten of God deliberately, knowingly, habitually practices sin. I don't believe that the Greek supports those mistranslations and rewordings. I'm going to talk about myself for a minute or two. Again, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior at age five. And throughout my youth, until I came to a place of foolish rebellion, I never remember not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't remember not being saved. I don't even remember accepting Christ. Uh, I was I know that I was told that I had accepted the Lord at age five, and I believed it because I didn't ever remember not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I was saved. But then I chose against, to go against everything that I believed, everything I had been taught. I chose to give myself over to the follies of sin and of the world. It was my practice. It was deliberate. It was willing. It was habitual. Now, if the rewording of God's word by those who took on the responsibility of translating God's word, if it were accurate, then what would they say about my eternal life? That eternal life I'd been giving, given. They would just say, and you know, you can go some places where the absolutely, if you're born again, it's eternal. But if you mess up, you never were saved. You can't lose it, but you never were saved. I'm not even going to go there. I'll just give you, again, advice that I've already given. If there is something you don't understand in the Bible, don't change God's word as those men did. Now, I, I think their intentions were probably good, but they were still wrong. You know, I can tell you stories about people that did terrible things with the best of intentions. They were wrong. Don't change God's words. Change your thinking. Let him alter you. The new man, the new creation life in us, that life of Christ, the nature of God in us is incapable of sin born of God, has his nature. We've seen that already. Romans seven seventeen. we looked at this also. Paul assessed the problem, the struggle with sin in his own life when he was trying to determine to do what's right and determine not to do what's wrong. And he finally said, you got a revelation. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. The capacity for sin remains in that old creation in our flesh. It's part of its corrupted nature. The old man is utterly unchanged. Again, not an excuse to yield our members as servants to sin. God makes that abundantly clear. There's an accountability. There will be tragic losses if we choose to go down the wrong path. But what it is, not an excuse for sin, it's a Bible fact. What you do with it, this is why you need to yield to the Holy Spirit and, and continue to dig into the Word of God and desire God's best. Because here's a Bible fact. 
You can twist it as much as you want to if that's your desire. Peter talked about that, how people distort the word of God. But if you don't want to believe that if you've been born again, you can't sin, when you get home, find some scissors. Open your Bible to 1 John uh, chapter 3 and verse 9 and cut that verse right out of your Bible because you don't believe it anyway. No. Very bad idea. I, that's not really advice. Uh, it's just, uh, just accept God's word. And look at it and see, this is what it says. I don't have a clue. This, this it doesn't make sense to my flesh. God looks on Israel and says, I haven't seen iniquity. I haven't seen, I haven't seen problems there. And you look at Israel and say, but what? And then God says, he that's born of God can't commit sin. And you look at yourself and you say, what? That's what I did when it first hit me. But 1 Samuel 16, 7, God spoke to Samuel. And he said, the Lord does not see as man sees. Did you ever go to a doctor, a lawyer, or a realtor, or a somebody, an accountant, or somebody that knew more than you knew about a particular field? And you brought a situation before them, and you had seen it one way, and they explained it to you, and it's like, oh, I've been looking at this completely wrong here. There's a lot of things that we need to take to God and allow God to change our thinking on, to, to change our thoughts. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Child of God, don't be afraid just to trust God and believe him. Yes, continue to search the scriptures. Yes, desire an increasing understanding of the things of God. And if our thinking should be unable to take it in immediately, we should accept the reality of God's word and just wait on him for the rest. But again, the core of it is that no matter what happens, this new life cannot and will not be corrupted by sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him, made Jesus, who knew, knew no sin, to be sin and a sin offering for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. If you will tell me that my righteousness can be diminished, corrupted, or go away, what are you saying about the righteousness of God? Jesus is my, it's not me. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's my hope. That's my only hope. That's my security. That's my, that's my security blanket, if you want to put it that way. Christ in me. He is my righteousness, and I will not belittle the righteousness of God and of Christ by saying that his gift of everlasting righteousness could ever be sullied. That his gift, uh, he's my life. That his gift of eternal life could ever be corrupted. I'm going to give you one more scripture pretty much without comment. 1 Corinthians 1, 30, verse and 31. But of him are you in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness. Your righteousness is not maintained by your doing the right thing. You're going to be really stupid sometimes because you're human. You're going to be really willful sometimes because you're human. But your righteousness is what Christ is. 
He is your righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Not what I have done to maintain it, but in his marvelous love, wisdom, and generosity, what he did for us through Christ Jesus and in his person. Amen. That concludes our lesson.